0: We'll transition for a little bit, and uh, we're going to continue what we've done over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I know some of you are in our small group ministry this fall. Um, uh, it's about twelve weeks of studying the the Gospel of Luke, and I think we're week eight or nine, if I'm not mistaken. I have a few more weeks left, and uh, we're also um, the clergy or buddy John and myself. We're using the same passage, the weekly passage from the Gospel of Luke. That's been our sermon. Uh, texts, and over these last few weeks, John and I have uh, met a couple times each week to sort of bring to the text, well, I'll do some study, John will do some study, and, and the idea is that we bring our notes, and, and so the sermon uh, for today, again, is going to be, imagine you're a fly on the wall, and the idea is uh, if John and I were in a small group by ourselves, this is probably how our small group would go. And What I want is, uh, someone asked me if, after the last week, said, is all this scripted, and maybe like three or four points, and then outside of that, it, it's, there's a lot of leeway. So My prayer throughout, when we're on these types of sermons, these conversational style of sermons, is that God will use our discussion, our planning, everything, and, and then what you process, or maybe what you take away, use that as the form of the gospel. And the great thing about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit works to, to take things, in, some, in this case, words, and uh, in the hearing of them and in the process of those, they actually can become the gospel, and it, it buries itself deep down into our souls and, and then begins the work of the kingdom. And so that's our goal this morning. Uh sermon's going to be a little different if you're new with us or, or if you're watching from home. This is a, more of a conversation that we just want to invite you in. So with that being said... Um, I've always appreciated John's work, uh, his exegetical work, where he, where he studies the passage and uh, reads out of the passage what the passage says. Can I show the notes? Do you mind? So, please, come on. So, I love this because I show up, and I mentioned this at the 9 o'clock, and, and I'm actually envious, really. This is a point of envy for me. I show up with like this many notes. John has like five of these and, uh, and he lays them out on our conference room, and where he's he's broken down the text and doing all these word studies, and so it's almost like just watching—it's uh, like a master work. I just sit there, my jaw falls down and hits the table, and I'm like, ah, I didn't see that there, Fuey. So uh, good, well done, you. So, uh, but this is only t- and I ask him each week. I say, can I bring these, please? You know. So, uh, but John John has a keen mind when it comes to the study of the Bible the use of the original language, and the breakdown of a text uh, in, in its literary form. And so, if you would, why don't you sure. sort of unpack some of that for us? Sure, absolutely.
1: And you can hang on to this. Yeah, we, I'm, I'm, I'm going to frame
0: them, <laughs> you know. Because if we're in his office, he has a whiteboard with like a thousand markers, and he's just, you know, blazing a trail. And I'm like, uh, what passage are we again? You know, so, anyway, So, if ahead, you so.
1: remember going through this, the, the book of Luke, um, you can... Actually, divide the book into two sections. One is Jesus actually declaring who he is, the Son of Man who has authority on earth to forgive sin, the Son of Man who has the authority to change the religious establishment's uh, rules and regulation, the Son of Man who has compassion. And then there's this transition to the second part that's uh, actually um, predicated or set into motion by two events. One, one is in um, Caesarea Philippi where Jesus asks his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Jesus, or rather, uh, Peter responds, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And at that point on, then you get these 10, 12 chapters of Jesus moving from Caesarea Philippi from Galilee, to Jerusalem and it is the the uh, the travel narrative and during these travel narratives there are um, uh, conversations that he has with people there are uh, parables that he has he is teaching about discipleship once you have understood at least begun to lean into who i am jesus says now what effect does that have on the way you live now when we get to chapter 12 you see this introduction of of the scene Thousands of people in verse 1 are trampling, Luke is very intentional, trampling over one another. And, um, and he and Jesus, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the Pharisees, to beware of the Pharisees. And, and this conversation goes between Jesus and his disciples in this, on this canvas of a thousand people, a lot of, of hustle and bustle around him. Um, As the chapter unfolds, you see one man from the crowd come and ask Jesus, Hey, Jesus, would you tell my brother to uh, divide the inheritance with with me? Jesus doesn't really resolve his conflict, really gives a sarcastic response, but that kind of springboards into the uh, parable about the rich fool. And then when you unfold the rich fool, you know that it's connected right to his private uh, teaching with the disciples still in this scenario with that word therefore I tell you do not be anxious about your body or about uh, what you wear or things like that and when you look at the scope here it is really um, it is uh, the passages the chapter is really centered around fear it's really centered around fear twice in this chapter Jesus and it's the only time Luke ever records Jesus saying these words in, in two places in this chapter, Jesus says, fear not. Fear not. In verse 7, fear not. Are you not worth more than these birds or these sparrows? In verse 32, verse 33, I don't remember, but he says, fear not, uh, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not. And so when we look at this, especially our uh, our passage which is dealing with anxiety you have to figure out or at least entertain the thought or explore where does fear actually enter into the scenario when it comes to worry and anxiety i mean fear actually is the the source of anxiety we're afraid of something we're afraid about tomorrow we're afraid about this conf- this confrontation or this relationship we're afraid about one thing or the other. We're afraid that we're going to be um, poor or not uh, taken care of or our necessities are not um, provided for. And out of this fear grows this anxiety. And in Jesus is really using very compassionate language here. Little flock, uh, fear not. Use reason. Consider the ravens. Consider the lilies consider the, the God takes care of these things, uh, how much more will he not take care of you? And so what we see here is, is that, um, that this fear that is at least under the surface, whether it's with the man and his brother, uh, the fear of not getting what you deserve, the fear of injustice, the fear of him getting more than you, I mean, it's this fear of the rich ruler, the parable of the rich ruler, the fear of not having enough space for everything, the fear with the disciples of the necessities in life, the fear. The fear leads to anxiety, and anxiety is the byproduct of fear. So with that groundwork, I think um, we're gonna try to tackle um, dealing with fear, dealing with anxiety, dealing with, with control and, and those things that kind of uh, unfold from there.
0: Yeah, so if, if...
1: I feel like we should be tag team, I'm gonna tag-team you now. That's right, good, no. good, good, good. Well, uh,
0: so <laughs> the idea of byproducts, where if you're seeking one thing and then the byproduct of that is worry or anxiety, What Jesus does in verse 31 is he redirects his audience. So instead of seeking all these things over here that has one level of byproduct, what he wants to do is redirect the people into seeking the kingdom, which has a different byproduct. And so you get in the passage where Jesus is is moving the the conversation, he's moving the people, redirecting the people to what we would call kingdom site. Verse 31, seek the kingdom. Uh, which is interesting to me because that word, you know, well before that, he two times don't do, don't do, don't do, and then all of a sudden he says, but now do this. And what he says to do is to seek the kingdom, and, and that word seek is uh, a present active imperative, and the uh, the type of tense of the word is not where you just seek one time and you check the box and then that's it. It's a continual seeking over and over and over again until you finally reach the point. And maybe two of the best examples in Luke's gospel, one is Luke 15, the parable of the the woman that loses one of the the ten gold coins. And 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 Jesus, in in portraying this parable, says this woman seeks and seeks and seeks and seeks nonstop until she finds it. It's not just seeking one time, maybe look behind the the sofa or maybe behind the the cushions or whatever it may be. She continually seeks over and over and over until she finally finds the coin. And and another time that Jesus used that same word in the same tense is in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Now, some of you know Luke chapter 19. In the beginning of that, that's the interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus climbs up a tree. He witnessed Jesus walking down the road. Eventually, they end up at uh, Zacchaeus' home, and and Zacchaeus uh, offers lunch to Jesus. And and, and through that experience, Zacchaeus changes from the inside out. And and the way he describes that change is when the lunch is over, he uh, looked at Jesus and said, I'm going to right all the wrongs that I've done. And then you get to verse 10 where Jesus said, because of what Zacchaeus is doing, salvation has come to this home. And because the Son of Man comes to seek, continually seek, and to save the lost. So this idea of of consider the kingdom, seek the kingdom, uh, redirecting people to a kingdom site, it's it's progressive in nature. As if it's not just a one and done, it's over and over and over and over again. And you keep seeking the kingdom, which has its own byproducts, but you keep seeking that kingdom until you find it. And along the journey, along the way, part of the byproducts of seeking the kingdom is a different type of life. One that has uh, less worry. One that has uh, less anxiety. Um, it's interesting to me that the, he, he uses that tense because what we, and, and I'm guilty of this as a preacher, I have to tell you, that what we like more than anything else are catchphrases uh, like, um, let go and let God. Now, I have to tell you, years ago, I had the bracelet that said, let go, let God. I had the T-shirt that said, let go, let God. And, and it sounds great, and it works. I mean, and, and ultimately, that's what we want to do. That's part of that process. But we have a tendency, I think, as, as preachers or maybe even teachers, as if to say, well, just do it one time. And then once you've done it, every, it's going to be smooth sailing going forward. I mean, I'm sure you probably yeah, Well, mine
1: it. was less um, Christian-like. It was just stop it. You yeah. know if you're worrying too much is that, if you're worrying and someone just says hey here's how you solve worry stop just stop worrying i mean does that sound possible what do, what do you do you find yourself in this this unending well what am i doing wrong or pray more or sure. something like that i mean i'm right, not right trying, trying
0: to forget something and the more you try to forget it the, the more, more you, you remember, remember it. It. that's exactly right yeah so uh, yeah we have a tendency to do that unfortunately in the church and uh, and, and, and although it, it's the goal is what we want, the idea that you let go of things that you try to control in order that you give it over to God, that is fantastic. But what, whenever we do these little catchphrases or don't do this or do that, we have a tendency, if we're not careful, to think, well, you just do it one time or maybe have one, one experience and from that whole deal that somehow the rest of everything is going to be perfect. And that's not. it, it, it has a tendency... To oversimplify the progress that God wants to work inside of a person or God wants to lead a person with the role of the yeah. Holy Spirit. What Jesus is describing is an inside out transformation. And that transformation takes place when we seek the kingdom. And as we continually seek the kingdom, we then live a life that has different byproducts. And those
1: byproducts, less anxiety. Less worry. So, what's interesting in this is I think of, of you think of those characteristics of folks, and um, um, I think of humility. Um, and, and if I want to be humble or be more humble or practice humility, Um, And and I'm pursuing humility. I'm always looking for these ways of being humble, less prideful one way or another. And in the end, when I look at maybe some failures or celebrate the successes, boy, look how wonderful. I'm no longer humble at that point. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm celebrating my humility and I'm no longer humble. That is the catch-22 we get into with a lot of things like, like um, of, of uh, anxiety or something like that. We read a book um, about eight years ago, and I'm reading it now with my son. It's called Overcoming Your Shadow Mission by John Ortberg. And um, it is, it's a book that's out of print now, but um, it's, a, it's a wonderful book if you can get your hands on it. But throughout the book, he talks about, you know, look, anytime that you are not pursuing your God-given mission, you're going to pursue something else. You're going to pursue a shadow mission. So you want to keep in mind those things that God is doing in your life or where God is leading you and pursue those, seek God, his kingdom. He gets to this place where he talks about um, of joy and happiness and, and character and things like that. And he says to understand this is um, you have to understand the, the principle of indirection. In other words, you're doing something else, hoping, and, and because you're doing something else, you're getting a different result than expected. In, in this passage, we see Jesus, um, uh, at least uh, under the current, people in his, this passage worrying about things, and they go overboard in the worrying, just hope to pursue and keep this and, and, and attain these things. And, and Jesus is saying, that's why you're worrying we're always going to have a way uh, uh, to some degree or another another uh, a level of worry but he says in this passage he says look instead of pursuing those consider how wonderful you are in god's eyes consider your sacred worth this this verbiage that is you see in isaiah how have you not considered how wonderful majestic god is with a, with a with dripping with hyperbole he is Telling his disciples, how can you add one year to your life through worry? Grandma, My grandma used to say, worry is a lot of work. It's like sitting in a rocking chair. It's a lot of work, and it gets you nowhere. And there's a lot of truth to that. And so you understand what Jesus is saying. Instead of pursuing a non-anxious life, pursue the kingdom. See yourself through the lens that God sees you, and in that midst, you will start to uh, worry less or have less anxious moments it doesn 't mean it goes away, but when it does poke its ugly head up it 's that split second of going back and seeking God in those kingdoms it 's what our ch- we want our children to do not to see themselves through their own eyes, not to see themselves through their friends eyes we want to see we want them to see themselves how we see them and that 's what God does he wants us to see ourselves as he, we see ourselves
0: this idea of uh indirection um i want to show you how or at least i want to share from my life how this has been very helpful and um so going through the whole covid experience and life i mean i know it's still around but when it was uh two years ago and all the things of uncertainty and social distancing and all the things that our society adopted. of course, that was part of, part of our congregation. And uh, that had to be the worst time in my life ever as a, as a pastor. Um, I've been a pastor, I think, for uh, ordained. I think I've been ordained now for 25 or 6 years and served as a youth director and as a, sort of like a lay, lay uh, pastor before. So for the better part of 27, 28 years, have always loved being a minister. Um, have loved the, the job, have loved my profession. Um, I hated being a pastor uh, during the last two years. Um, thought about all the things that I was not qualified for that perhaps I could do other than being a pastor. And uh, my wife's not here. If she was here, she would probably tell you she hated, she hated me being at home, you, you know, during this time because I was, I was no fun to be around. Uh, and it was all fear-based. Because all I could think about was when they write the Chronicles of St. Paul, I'm going to be the one that has his hand on the wheel when the church closes. That's what I thought. And, uh, and I thought, this is just horrible. And, uh, and so I meet with a group of clergy, and we were meeting uh, and sort of just talking about our life. And, and what we discovered is we were all in the same place. And one of my buddies he was working with a, a coach, and he was sharing about his work with the coach. And, we were, and then he, he asked me, and he said, Well, Shane, what actually are you afraid of? Because in my mind, what I, what I did is I took a possibility and moved it not just from a possibility to a probability. In my mind, I conceived that to be the reality. And so everything that I was doing was based on uh, th- these fear narratives of things I could not control. It didn't matter what, how I tried to stay ahead of it. It just couldn't do it. And and so he actually said, what actually are you afraid of? And it took me about 30 minutes actually to acknowledge it. And I hemmed and hawed, you know, just kind of hemmed around, and, uh, and he finally said, no, just tell me what they are. And so the first time being able to say, this is what I'm afraid of, and I actually, he said, write them down. So I wrote them down, about six of them. And he uh, he said, now let me ask you this question because this is what my coach asked of me. He said, what happens if they all come true? And I thought this is not helping me. All right, I mean, I can already can I can conceive that they're coming true right now. You know, that's what I don't want. I can't stop it. And he said, no. He said, just what happens if they come true? And he said, well, what's left? And I said, well. I'm still Connor and Caroline's father, still married to Brooke, probably still will be a pastor of St. Paul, maybe, you know, the only one that's here, but I'll still be the pastor of St. Paul. But what it did, it actually changed my focus, where instead of focusing on all the things that I could not control, and the harder I tried to control those, it was like holding, trying to grab hold of water in your fist. The harder I squeezed, the more it left. But it changed my my direction. So no longer focusing on all these fear narratives that were possibilities, uh, not probabilities, and definitely not reality. And it freed me up to actually pursue something I could control, which was the kingdom. And then, in an indirect way, less worry, less anxiety. Two times Jesus told his disciples, Don't do this. Verse 31, the only time he talked about to do something, he said, Seek the kingdom. And in the process of continually seeking after the kingdom, not a one and done, but a continual seeking the kingdom, then all these other things will be added to you. That's the byproducts, And part of those, less anxiety, less worry. It doesn't mean that you don't, I mean, God doesn't take the fire away. You mentioned Isaiah, Isaiah 43. You still walk through the fire. You still walk through the flood. The difference is you walk with Him. And in this kingdom life that you live with His Spirit, you're changed from the inside out that has a kingdom byproduct. This is Luke 12. I love this passage. Not just for what it says, but because it works. Seek the kingdom of God. And in continually seeking the kingdom of God, you live into a kingdom lifestyle that has its own byproducts.